thanks for joining me for another two-age sojourner for philosophy friday i'm looking forward to this one Friday, and you know what? I'm really encouraged. I've been getting some feedback that I am not the only philosophy geek out there, and people are encouraged that we're mixing some philosophy into this, which I'm stoked by. I'll give you a little bit of an indication as to what I have in mind uh, moving forward. Uh, we want to uh, talk about some um, good old contemporary philosophy. In fact, I was chatting to Nick, and I think. I'm trying to get this out of him, but I think it'd be great if he would uh, jump in with me and um, and do a few of these sessions. He's got so much to offer, so I'm working on him. And if you know Nick Cleveley personally, then just go ahead and give him some peer pressure and try and uh, get him to get on this show for Philosophy Friday. Um, but I want to uh, mesh it in with apologetics as well. Philosophy, apologetics, I, they overlap at so many levels. As And of course, we're, when we're talking about philosophy as two-age sojourners, we're not doing it devoid of theology. So the whole thing is intermeshing with theology. Now, uh, one thing I wanted to make sure that we were doing is uh, just finishing up on our discussions on epistemology and ontology. Um, of course, we could keep going there for a very long time. But um, I wanted to just wrap up by making sure to commend to you some reading um, uh, and I have mentioned this a few times, but Michael Horton's uh, The Christian Faith, A Systematic Theology for Pilgrims on the Way, you know that's going to be good for a two-age sojourner. Just the title sells it. But, um, you know, the, the reality is Kleinian theology just runs through uh, Horton's stuff at every level. So does a good dose of philosophy. Um, we've just, uh, as a as an eldership, moved through the whole textbook. Uh, we've taken our uh, guys in ministry training uh, through that whole process, uh, and, and we've read through pretty much at the end now. And uh, it's just fantastic. It's a great book. Um, I've read and reread so many little sections. And um, one of my favorite, though, I got to say, and he sets he sets the opening chapter of the systematic theology up with, as I've already said uh, in previous episodes, with these categories of ontology and epistemology. And uh, he does so with good reason. He develops why he does it. And I think um, if uh, what I have said has in any way interested you, then you want to go ahead and, and read from uh, just the first uh, section of his systematic theology. And then if you do go on and read through the whole thing, um, what's amazing is that you see how he just weaves these themes right the way through. Um, I think it's it's profound the way that he does that and so, so helpful. But um, just one little element I want to play with in this session and uh, just, just give you a little bit of a, a heads up um, about is his, um, really, uh, one way to put it would be to, you know, many systematic theologies begin with, um, some sort of apologetic for the existence of God or the reason we believe the the Bible to be true. And so that's not unusual. But what you find that's so helpful in Horton's uh, uh, systematic is the way that he sets up an understanding of worldview um, in a way that's very, 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 very accessible, very memorable, very accurate, very um, theologically informed. And for those who 
uh, are psyched about covenant theology and see its its great importance. And perhaps you've been uh, tracking through this podcast and you're starting to get interested in these things. Uh, that much more, it, it becomes just uh, such a good insight that he gives. Um, all the stuff that I have looked at in terms of worldview, I mean, you get some very, very good stuff out there. Uh, you know, one of my favorite guys is Francis Schaeffer, and we will certainly be saying more about his view of things in uh, future episodes. But uh, in this in this case, um, you know, I wanted to bring out the simplicity of Horton's view uh, or a categorization of worldviews, because often you read um, some very good stuff out there, but it's complicated um, or, you know, the more accessible um, stuff on worldview and philosophy and um, uh, from a Christian po- point of view anyway, tends to be, I don't know, just uh, it, it tends to sort of take on that, hey, th- it's us and then all the cults and uh, this is the worldview of that one, this is the worldview of that one, and then you got like 13 worldviews you need to remember and they're all so nuanced and, and it just kind of freaks everyone out and they just pull back and they're like, you know what, this worldview thing is a little bit complicated and they just forget about it. But the reality is you need to know about worldviews. Um, it helps you interpret everything. It helps you understand where you stand in relation to everything else. And a worldview is just a way in which you you understand the world. You view the world. You interpret the world. What lens you use. Um, how that worldview fits together is important. Um, and I'd say probably one of the major ways we need to approach the subject of evangelism is by, as Francis Schaeffer um, advocates, you know, just sitting down with someone and asking them questions and and doing more asking than we are answering, uh, to begin with at least, and giving what giving what they say to us is, as um, uh, l- pretending that they're little chunks of uh, info, uh, almost like little pieces of the puzzle that they're passing to us, and our task is to assemble a puzzle that they might themselves not have put together, but our understanding of worldviews will help us to do this, trying to assess essentially their own worldview. Is it a coherent one? Is it an inconsistent one? If it's inconsistent, then that's where we start. We start challenging them on their inconsistencies, lightly, gently. Uh, as Francis Schaeffer says, um, you know, you have to be very gentle with that stuff because um, often people will have a very inconsistent worldview and it's not hard to push it over in one in one go and uh, you leave them without anything then and that's not good either i mean you you, people go into major depression because they realize their whole deal has just been a lie or or whatever it is Uh, you know chef is amazing because he actually said that uh, as he did this with people he started to realize more and more he needed to be gentle and god's common grace to, to many people is that they live with an inconsistency they might have turned away from him and therefore have no coherent rational um, uh, worldview at all uh, but really approach life as if they did and uh, and so they have a measure of God's common grace given to them they, they don't deserve it but they are uh, nevertheless blessed with these temporal blessings and and to push them too hard on these things uh, really it, it, in many ways it, it might have the adverse effect of not leading them to Christ but leading them to despair so just a little thought there, and we'll come back to that. I think that's worth dedicating a whole episode to. Um, but if you know if that's you, if you've been thinking about worldviews and you've tried down that track and it just got too complicated for you, let me let me give you this to to consider. And uh, again, if you want some more um, to drink from you, yeah, this is um, this is straight out of Horton's stuff, um, and he basically says you can you can understand the whole 
uh, of it doesn't matter where someone's coming from. I mean, it might be a, a, anything from a pantheist through to a deist, through to an atheist, through to an agnostic, um, through to a Christian. I mean, you, you don't actually have that many buckets. Everything more or less, goes in three buckets. And if you can get these three buckets down, if you can get these three categories down, you've basically got your starting point for understanding worldviews and understanding what you need to do, uh, at least what you need to understand, so that you can start engaging with other worldviews at a meaningful level. Because it's, it's also, you know, it's one thing to have the knowledge and another thing to put that in practice and actually engage with it. Uh, we don't want to engage with other worldviews at a trivial level, we want to go to the heart of it. We want to understand what the fundamental problem is and what the fundamental difference to Christianity is. So anyways, with that as a bit of a warm-up, um, here's basically what he's got. He said, you've got these um, uh, ideas of, and he uses the term of a stranger, like God is ultimate reality, God, you know, let's use the most generic kind of understanding, higher power or whatever it is, um, is is always going to ever only be perceived in one of three ways. Firstly, it's going to be perceived as the uh, method of overcoming estrangement. All right, that's the key term, overcoming estrangement. And he would put, um, what's interesting is that he would put, um, you know, things like both pantheism um, and panentheism and I would probably legalism and transcendentalism and, you know, any kind of method that says, hey, I, we don't know who God is. Um, you know, perhaps we're born into a state where we're not entirely sure of the spiritual higher or absolute reality of, of things or who God is. So here's our solution to the problem. We try and overcome it. We essentially start climbing a ladder of some sort. Uh, this would be the ancient Greek uh, philosophers at many level, uh, at many levels at least. They they would, um, they, through their philosophy, through their contemplation of things, through their dissection of um, various uh, ideas, they would seek to uh, lift themselves to higher levels of reality. Uh, this is the Gnostic idea through a, a kind of knowledge. You it eventually uh, elevate your understanding to. To, uh, to move beyond what is just very apparent and in the material world and to get higher and higher until you eventually are more in contact with that ultimate reality or God himself. Um, and so one way or another, you're climbing a ladder. So uh, if it's pantheism or panentheism, you're basically you know, trying to become one with uh, the energy of the world, the, the force, um, maybe is a good... Uh, analogy that's commonly used, uh, the Star Wars thing, you know, just just try and get in tune with the force that runs through all things, and and you've got to work on this, and you've got to uh, develop your skills, or uh, you know, and it takes many different forms. I mean, I think at some level, legalism is one of these things where we can work our way to God. Uh, what does he want us to do? Okay, that's what we'll do it. Uh, we climb to the high mountain. We contemplate for seven years. And then we have our moment of enlightenment. Uh, we uh, you know, go into our basement. We cross our legs. We meditate until we are you know, feeling the buzz of the universe. Uh, we're just uh, going into ourselves. We're going at one with nature. It's all that kind of stuff, right? And uh, of course, there's uh, so much more you could say about that and the various religions involved. But typically there are many, and uh, okay, they are the big ones, 
but they're little unknown ones and they all fall in this bucket. Anything that's trying to overcome an estrangement with ultimate reality or, or God himself um, that recognizes there needs to be work to, to get to this ultimate place, that, that um, he puts into this one bucket uh, and he calls it the overcoming estrangement bucket. Um, and then interestingly enough, you get on the other side of the spectrum a um, approach that says, okay, well, listen, we, we uh, realized that there might be um, a, a God, there might be this ultimate absolute reality out there, there might be um, something, but we will never, there's no way to get there. Uh, they see the futility and the idea that we can just sort of work our way there or internalize our way there or mystify our way there. And, um, and yeah, you'd have like atheists, agnostic, and even deists, which is, I think, the, one of the more profound ideas behind this categorization in that you've got uh, a deist who is essentially someone who believes there is a God and, and, and at the same time understands or believes at least that, that there's no way to come into contact with God because he is so much beyond, he's so beyond anything in this creation. Uh, and in many ways they're, they're right. I mean, God is ontologically above anything that he created. So unless he reveals himself, you know, there is no way to find out who he is. And um, at that level, they're correct. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because this is almost what the atheist would say as well, or the agnostic. I think any sensible atheist would admit that uh, they can't make a dogmatic claim that God does not exist because, you know, in order to make a claim like that, you'd have to be God. You'd have to be all-knowing. So you can't go that direction. But you can say, hey, well, we're just not sure and we uh, believe it's likely not true. And even if it's true, we'll never find out. In other words, uh, God is a stranger and we'll never meet him, is the idea. So that's the other bucket. And you see how how you take, you simplify a whole bunch of stuff out there. Uh, agnosticism, atheism, uh, man, it's just so much stuff. Um, even deism and its forms. And you put it in that bucket. And essentially the issue with that bucket is they feel that even if God exists, you could never really make sure that you can never you can never be certain not certain enough to uh, make any sort of dogmatic religious claims or anything like that um, and then of course that leads the way for um, the the Christian worldview which is uh, as Horton calls it the the meeting of a stranger which is essentially the story of of, of the Bible the covenant idea that God it is true we, we would never be able to necessarily know authoritatively who God is we might have a sense of God we might um, uh, believe that you know the world um, as Romans tells us uh, uh, points us to the reality of a creator we might not be able to dismiss that that sense but you know unless God actually revealed himself uh, we would be left to general uh, ideas we wouldn't be able to say authoritatively what is right and what is wrong uh, we, we might have to take a more deistic approach or even an uh, agnostic approach in that we're just not certain where to go in light of the, 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 the competing truth claims out there. But we, we, of course, as Christians, believe that God has revealed himself and done so in such a manner that is uh, verifiable and, uh, and is reasonable to believe. And, uh, of course, this sets us on a whole path of apologetic and its various approaches. But uh, essentially, we fall into that category then of believing that um, the estrangement has been overcome, but not by our own efforts. So it's not in that bucket. Um, 
it's not in the overcoming estrangement bucket. It's, it's essentially in the meeting of a stranger by, by the stranger introducing himself to us. And uh, I like it because that takes us to the heart of uh, a Christian ontology and epistemology and all these things we have been discussing in the previous episodes. And it also uh, brings us to understand the fundamental uh, idea behind Christianity and its worldview, which separates um, our epistemology from that of uh, competing worldviews. And um, it, it also uh, shows us where our confidence li- lies. We are people that rest on, on the revelation of God. That is something that is so baseline to, to anything of our faith. Um, and so there's some quick thoughts for you on Philosophy Friday. Those are philosophical categories. They blend in with worldview and, and uh, apologetics and theology. But uh, it's essentially a good thing to be well aware of. And hopefully that blesses you on Philosophy Friday. Uh, I'm trying to keep these things uh, wrapped up in a short amount of time. So hopefully that's not too long. But um, uh, we might come back to some of those things. We might explore the way that that then works out in terms of apologetics and engaging further with different philosophies. But um, know those categories and uh, go and uh, re-listen to this podcast if you need to. Uh, Google it. You know, I'm sure someone's written something uh, punchy with those two categories somewhere. Uh, or get Horton's book even better. Um, but uh, let me let me encourage you to to be familiar with those things. It'll help you. It'll it'll simplify the task of not only your understanding, your own theology, but but as a starting point. But it will help you to engage with those who who take different views. I mean, you'll no matter where someone's coming from, you know exactly basically where they stand, and you've you've got an immediate approach and a method of attack in your. Oh, I shouldn't say attack, but you know what I mean? A method of, of, of conversation um, to move forward. And isn't that just the thing? We start freaking out. We have coffee with someone. They're telling us their weird and wonderful worldview. And we're thinking to ourselves, oh, my goodness. Like, I don't know anything about that. What am I going to say? Well, now you do. You know, essentially, that if they fall into one of those buckets, they clash at the very point of revelation with the with the Christian worldview. And it, it's helpful then to argue why it is that we believe God has introduced himself and, uh, and that's a good place to, to begin the conversation. So hopefully that blesses you. And uh, thanks again for joining me at Philosophy Friday, Two-Age Sojourner. Check it out at twoagesojourner.com. Subscribe, review, do the whole gig. Thanks a million. See you uh, for tomorrow's Smoking Saturday. Mm-hmm.